Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Verse 11, and he, this is speaking of Jacob, lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. And the land whereupon thou liest to thee will I give it into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places, whither thou goest. We'll bring thee again unto this land. I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob wakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and he called the name of the place Bethel but the name of the city was called Luz at the first and Jacob vowed a vow saying if God be, will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go I will give and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace Then shall the Lord be my God, and this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Verse 1 of 29, Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. After all of these great things had happened, It's almost like it just moves on with the story. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. I want to preach what I feel so strong on my heart. I went to bed Friday evening after having read through this story again and uh, feeling the tug on my heart to minister from this passage of Scripture. And as I was drifting off to sleep, I could feel this churning in my heart. And I knew 
uh, the Lord would allow, it wouldn't be long until I would minister this message this morning. I want to preach a call to come back. A call to come back. Let's lift up our hands and our voices once again to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Let's pray for His anointing. Let's pray for His strength. Let's pray for His power. In this place, Jesus, we need you. We hunger for you. God, move upon hearts. Touch souls. Stir individuals. Minister to needs in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And we thank you for it. In the name of the Lord. God bless you so much for standing. You may be seated. Often when we think of Jacob, we think of him as a great patriarch and certainly one of those towering, looming figures that is found in the Old Testament that we often reference, we often use as an example, and we often draw encouragement and strength from his life. When we read about some of the occasions where faith was exhibited, where he was an example of someone that had tenaciousness and intensity, a sense of urgency and desire to hunger after the things of God. We think of him in the sequence. We, we often repeat it. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that's the frame of reference that many times we use when we're talking about Jacob. However, I think it's good to be reminded from time to time that he did not always live up to the title of a patriarch. That he did not always live up to uh, the expectations that even God had for his life. But in his youth, in his early days, there is evidence of a whole lot of stumbling. There's evidence of some clumsy, careless choices and moves that were made and youthful, youthful mistakes that were made by Jacob during his early life. I, I consider all the advantages. You know, we like to say it. We've got a little phrase that we use for describing it that some people are just born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Well, in a spiritual sense, I suppose that is true with Jacob. He was born with all the advantages that one could have. I mean, think about it. His grandfather was Abraham, who was considered to be the father of the faithful. A man that was such a towering figure in the Old Testament that even as you read through the Scripture to the very last pages of your Bible, this man is referenced, he's revered, he's looked up to. All of Israel wants to identify with their father, Abraham. They want to look back through their lineage and they want to use him as an example of faith. And then his father, Isaac, also numbered as one of the great patriarchs of Israel. So these were the early influences of his life. These were the people that he was raised around. No doubt he had heard the testimonies since the time he was able to understand them about how God had blessed and how God had favored his grandfather and his father. 
He had heard the first-hand account of how that God had spoke to Abraham to take his only son Isaac to the mountain who was Jacob's father. And he had heard not only Abraham tell this story of how God had spoke to him, but had also heard it from the perspective of his father describing these uh, traumatic events and how that they went to the Mount Moriah and how that he was offered there or Abraham built an altar and was willing to offer him unto God and how at the last moment God stayed his hand that had the weapon to, to be brought down and to take the life of Isaac and God provided a ram that was caught by his horns in the thicket. God provided his own sacrifice for Abraham. And what a tremendous testimony this was. And Jacob was able to hear these things, not from being removed from them generations, but he was there to hear them from the very people that were involved in those situations, those that were involved in those events. And yet it seems like with all of the powerful prayers that Abraham prayed and Isaac prayed and the tremendous touch of God and anointing of God that was upon their life, for whatever reason, Jacob did not seem to have the same relationship with God at this point that his father and grandfather possessed. For whatever reason, it seems like there is a disconnect. It's apparent in the behavior of Jacob. While Esau, we understand, was a child that was given to the things of the world, a profane man that had no respect for the things of God at all, Jacob still had a side to him that was a supplanter, a conniver, a con artist, a man that was given to deceive if it meant that he could get an advantage over somebody. And this is obvious even from the time of his birth. There's competition, an unnatural competition that exists between Esau and Jacob. And you know the story, and I won't belabor the point this morning of how that at a period of time when Esau was hungry, that Jacob used this vulnerability to move in and to deceive Esau and to take away from him the birthright and the blessing from their father, which he knew was a very valuable thing. Even though he didn't go about it right and even though his methods were wrong, there was something about him that he respected. He had a desire to have the blessings of God and the advantage of the birthright. And we, we know that later when the time came for Isaac to actually pass on this blessing that he asked that his sons go out or his son Esau go out and find him venison from the field and bring it in and they would have their ceremony. And while he was out hunting, Jacob, his mother, and he made this plan and they brought in the goat's meat and tricked their father who was blind or the father that was blind and, and uh, he placed the blessing upon Jacob. And Esau, when he found this news out, 
he was so wroth, he was so filled with wrath that he said, after this funeral is over, after our period of mourning and grief is over with, I want you to know I'm going to seek revenge. I want you to know there's going to be a reprisal. And Jacob's mother, Rebekah, realizing this, told him to flee, and he ran to his uncle's house. She sent him away to Laban's house, there to find refuge. And it was there on his way, after spending the day running through the desert, the sun is going down in the west, and he knows that he's got to find a place to spend the night, that he finally arrives upon this place that we read about, this place outside of the city of Luz. And it's there that uh, while he arranges some stones, it's not a comfortable setting at all. And can I just talk to you this morning and tell you that God does not always deal with us in comfortable places. God does not always move upon our hearts when everything is just great in our lives. God is not always able to be felt by us when we're comfortable. He's not always able to touch us the way that He needs to when we are satisfied and complacent. We tend to be indifferent towards the moving of God's Spirit when things are rocking along just fine in our lives. So this was not a comfortable place. He had stones for a a pillow to lay His head upon. And it was a very uncomfortable experience. But it was somewhere in the midst of the night that God revealed to him more than just a dream, but a vision from God. And he saw a ladder ascending into the heavens. And he saw angels ascending and descending to the earth. And God began to speak to him. And remind him of some promises that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac, his father. And he said, really, the continuation of these promises extend to you also. That if you'll dedicate your life, Jacob, I know that you've made some wrong turns. And I know that you haven't done everything just right up until this point. And I can't say that I approve of everything that you have done. But I still want you to live for me. And I still want to use you. And I still want to anoint you. And I still want to include you in the promises of your forefathers. I want you to be a part of what I intend to do for the nation of Israel. I want you not just to be a part and observer on the sidelines. But I want you to be an integral part. Of what God is doing. Oh I feel a witness in my spirit here this morning. To tell somebody in this house. That may think because of certain choices. And certain decisions. I've disqualified myself. From ever being used of God again. In any capacity. That I'll never be able to get back. Or be restored. Or be anointed again. Or receive any of the promises. Or fulfill any of the potential. In God's kingdom that was intended for me. And I want to just state from you at the outset of this sermon here this morning that there 
there could be nothing more far from the truth. God wants to tell some Jacob that's in this house that he still can change your nature and make you an Israel, meaning a prince having power with God, that you can get power over the things that have held you back. You can get authority over the things that have suppressed you and kept you down. You can can put things that have weighted you and burdened you under your feet here this morning by the help of the Holy Ghost. Oh, come on, somebody. Let's lift up our hands to the Lord and let's talk to Him right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This was such a real experience with God that he makes a statement. He said, surely the Lord was in this place. And I knew it not. What he was really saying was this, is I never dreamed that God would be here like this. In my state, in my situation, things I've been involved in, things I've been doing, I surely didn't think God would visit me, and I, I, I didn't think that He would visit me here at this particular place, at this juncture of my life. But I want to tell you again that God visits people sometimes in the most unlikely places the most unlikely periods of their life. In situations that you didn't think God could break through in, God is able to break through to you in those situations. And God is able to speak to you in a certain way in situations that He wasn't able to get your attention before. God is able to touch you. Amen. Surely the Lord was in this place. Just a few Days ago, I uh, was preaching at a meeting and, and I, I just felt at, at the last, really the last day or two to call my mother and father who was going to be there and ask them if they would bring my aunt and uncle who don't attend church or don't attend a truth preaching church and, uh, and ask them to come. My, my uncle, my dad's brother, has been a very successful businessman. He was a contractor for many years in the city of Sand Springs, Oklahoma, which is just outside of Tulsa. And then he became the city manager of Sand Springs, Oklahoma, and uh, served in that capacity for better than 20 years until he retired. And uh, very dignified people. And uh, I, I said, I, I want you to ask Aunt Charlene and, and Uncle Loy if they'd come to church with you. And uh, hear me preach. They'd, I've preached revivals around there through the years, and, and they've never never came. I'd went and asked them to come, and they'd never never came to our service. But they they chose to come the other day to the church service, and they were in that church service, and they were looking around, and people were worshiping God, and and the presence of God uh, came into that house, and the Lord began to move in a powerful, powerful way during that service, and. My uncle made the remark. He said, uh, I now realize, I now realize that, that, that this is what I've been missing all of these years. I, I now realize there's something to this. I realize what you've been trying to tell me 
and it's the truth, the presence of God. In other words, I didn't expect to find Him here, but I found something here that I haven't ever experienced or felt before. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, God is able to speak to people. God is able to deal with people. God is able to move upon the hearts of people. Surely the Lord was in this place. And I knew it not. And he said, I'm going to change the name of this place from Luz. And he, he took some rocks and he piled them up and he made a memorial. And he said, I'm going to call this place Bethel, meaning the house of God. You see, the house of God is not necessarily brick and mortar. It's not sheetrock and nails and steel and wood. But the house of God is anywhere you can meet God. The house of God is anywhere you can have an experience with God. Amen. He said, I'm going to call it the house of God. And notice the vow that he made. He said, if, if, if God will be with me and provide for me and bring me back to my father's house in peace. I will let him be my God forever. You know, even the conniver, even the supplanter, after an experience like this, after being touched by God in such a profound way like this, and receiving a vision and hearing the audible voice of the Lord speaking to him in this manner, he still had a little bit of that still in him, didn't he? Well, if you'll make the conditions just right, I'll live for you. If you'll provide for me and if you'll continue to bless me and if you'll protect me from all of these that are trying to take my life and keep me from dying, then I'll make you my God. I'll live for you. I'll serve you. He still was placing the supplanter was still placing stipulations on how he was going to live for God. He was still trying to set the conditions. If you'll do this, I'll do that. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't work like that. Jacob, you can't twist God's arm. Jacob, you can't make God fit into your form of what you want him to be. Jacob, you can't force God into a corner. You can't make him be your God according to how you want him to be in your life. But Jacob, you, you have to surrender yourself. You have to open your heart to God and to his will and say, I yield everything. I surrender everything. This is all of me. I'm not holding anything back. With all that he experienced, he was still trying. And then he got up from that place. And the Bible said in verse 1 of chapter 29, it says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. It's almost like he got up and dusted himself off and said, Man, I'm glad for the reassurance that God still cares and God still knows where I'm at. And I'm thankful for the feeling of reprieve and I feel better about things now, and he made his journey. This experience really didn't alter him. It did, not, it did not change him the way that it should. He didn't change his plans. He didn't change his lifestyle because we see that he goes down to Laban's house and immediately begins to set out and devise plans to how to manipulate and to put himself in an advantage. And, it, it, and we know that God had his hand in all of this, we understand what was going on, and, and, and I, I, I get that. 
But I, I want you to understand that, that God still was trying to work some, some of the fleshly nature and the Jacob, if I could say it that way, nature out of Israel. He was trying to, to get, it, get it out of him. He was trying to purify his motives because his motives were not always correct. They were not always right. The reasons why uh, that he was choosing to serve God was not always right motives. Uh, I'm going to tell you there's a lot of motivations for coming to God. Circumstances can motivate you to come to God. Situations can motivate you to come to God. Uh, things going on in your life can motivate you to come to God. But there's only one thing that can keep you living for God. And that is that you must fall in love with God. I said you've got to fall in love with him. Paul said we are kept by the love of God. Amen. I understand that we're, we're, there's a certain element of God reaching down in His love. I understand that, but it has to be reciprocal. We have to give that love back to Him. We have to at some place, at some, at some juncture in our life, come to a place that we fall in love with God. While he's working there at Laban's place, the cattle that he has are more productive and the sheep that he has is more productive and the goats that he has is more productive. And the Bible said that his herd grew stronger and stronger and Laban's weaker and weaker. And then Jacob noticed something. He noticed a change in Laban. He said, or it says, and Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. He noticed there had been a change in, in attitude and a difference. And so he flees. He's on the run again. He's on the run again. He flees from Laban's house. And while he flees from Laban's house, there's some things that his wife, Rachel had brought with her from Laban's house, her daddy's house, some graven images, some idols that she was attached to. She brought them with her, and this angered Laban so much that he pursued after him. And you, you, you know the story and how that while he was fleeing, the news came that not only is Laban after you, but now Esau is coming from a different direction. In other words, things is closing in on you. And it's at this point that Jacob finds himself a place by the brook Jabbok. And he, he, he's agonizing of what to do. He had already sent his family and some gifts on to maybe soften the heart of Esau, not knowing what would befall him when he finally met this man and this old grudge was brought to bear. And there that night, the Bible says, by that brook, he wrestled with an angel of God. I believe it was a theophany. And he wrestled throughout the night. And again, he was so determined he was so absolutely decided and, and he had made the choice that I, I'm, I can't afford to let this opportunity pass me by without getting something from it. 
And the Bible said the angel, in, in an effort to try to get him to stop, touched the hollow of his thigh, and, 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 and it was out of joint, and, and he, was, he was in pain, but he still refused to let go. Finally, when the sun started creeping up in the east, the angel spoke to him and said, let me go. It's the breaking of the day. And he said, I'll not let you go until you bless me. And I'm sure this experience was such a powerful experience. And we know that it was because he walked from that day never the same. And his name was totally changed. But there's still some things, some remnants that is in his life. He gets over there with Esau and finds out that Esau has mercy in his heart towards him. And things are better. And he gets things sort of worked out with Laban. And, and everything is, is kosher. And everything is good. And he goes a little further towards Bethel. All the while God is trying to call him back to that that original place and God is dealing with him to go back to that place where he first dedicated his life really to God and, and, and he gets 20 miles from Bethel and he stops in Shechem and he dwells there well it's not too far away I mean it's just up the road Bethel's not too, too far from here I'll just stay here in Shechem there's commerce here there's people here People are peaceable with us. And then the most horrific thing that could happen takes place. And that is the men of Shechem, they defile his daughter Dinah. And they abuse her and treat her as a prostitute. And his sons, Levi, and so on, Simeon, they're so angry. They're so angry that this has been done to their sister without even counseling Jacob, without even asking him his opinion about it. They devise a plan and they cruelly take it revenge upon these men of Shechem. And Jacob realizes, hey, my time here is up. This is closing in on me. He realizes that these men, they're going to come and they're going to seek revenge for all of us and there's way more of them and they have way further advantage than we do and they're going to destroy us all. And these boys, they, they didn't think about that when they lashed out in their anger and out in their wrath. They didn't think about the fact that, that, that our lives are going to be taken because of this and we're going to be destroyed and wiped from the face of the earth. And it's at this point that finally he, he begins to seek after God and cry out to the Lord. And the Lord speaks to him in chapter 35 and says, Arise and go back to Bethel. Go back to that place where it all started, Jacob. Go back to the point of origin. Go back to the place where I visited you. Go back to the place where I dealt with you the first time. Go back to Bethel. And he tells his wife, he said, you know those images, uh, you know those those little gods and idols that you picked up from your dad's house and you carried off? Uh, I want you to get rid of them. I want you to bury them under the tree. I want you to I want you to get I want you to change your garments. I want you to take the things of the world and put it away because we're going back to Bethel. We're going back to where it all started. I need a visitation from God. 
I need the Lord to help me. I need the Lord to deal with me. I need some direction from God. I need some help from the Lord. I wonder if there's anybody right here in this place this morning. You need some fresh direction. You need God to speak to you again. Maybe it's been a long time, but you need to hear His voice again. You need God to move in your heart again. You need God to speak to your soul once again. You need the Lord to deal with you and help you and strengthen you and help you to overcome some things. All the while, God is trying to work. He's trying to get that last little bit that Jacob is holding on to. He's trying to dig it out of his heart and say, if you're going to live for me, if you're going to be what I want you to be, you've got to be willing to surrender all. And you've got to get back to Bethel. I'll never forget my grandfather. He, while he was just a teenager, went away from God. His father was a preacher. Had one of the first oneness churches there in the city of Tulsa. And he was there preaching the gospel. And his son went away from God my grandfather, and for years lived in the world. I mean, a total wreck of a life. Became a musician, played in bar rooms, honky-tonks all through that city, and uh, was involved in that kind of life and that kind of culture. By day, he would drive a cab. He got up around 50-plus years and he began to feel a tug on his heart. He told me one time he got ill and was placed in the osteopathic hospital there in Tulsa. And he said, while I was in that hospital stay, he said, I read the Bible from front to back during that hospital stay. God was dealing with me. He said, every waking moment I had that Bible open, I was reading it. He said, I started carrying the Bible with me in my cab and between calls and rides. He said, I'd, I'd read it and I'd study it. God was dealing with me. He said, but my family, man, they didn't know anything about God. They didn't know anything about God. He said, I hadn't raised them around God. I hadn't raised them in the church. I my my uh, wife, I married her. She wasn't in the church. My grandmother, she, she didn't. My sons, now they're grown. They got their own families. They don't know anything about God. And 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 so anyway, he he just started praying and. And he had a mother that was still alive and still living for God, still praying and seeking God for the souls of her children. And uh, he said, Mama, he said, uh, uh, one day he called her said, Mama, I, I want to know, is there a church in this city that still preaches what Papa preached? Is there, is there a place I can go to find what, 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 what was had in that church and what was experienced there at a young tender age? You see, the seeds that are planted while a child is young, while a, while a person is in their youth, and they, they really get an experience with God, they, they won't be able to really get away from it or escape it. it. It continues to deal with them. It continues to stir their heart. And uh, though it was not visible, God was stirring him long before he ever made the move to come to the house of God. And so she said, yes, there is one place I know out on North Lewis in North Tulsa. There's a little church that a man by the name of Pastor Carl Ecker pastors. And if you'll go there, he preaches what, you, what your father preached. And so they went to that church and started going, God dealing with him. He came down to the altar, repented of his sins, and God 
filled him with the Holy Ghost again and he was baptized. I don't know that he'd ever been baptized before, but he was baptized in Jesus' name. And, and uh, then he, he started working on his family members and his brothers and sisters. And, and uh, there was, uh, I think there was three sisters total that came in to the church and, and uh, many of their family members also. And then it, it, it went on and his own sons, uh, now preachers of the gospel, came in to the church. And, and then my mother and father and, and his, his wife, my grandmother, came into the church. Why? Because one man said, i got to get back uh, to Bethel. I, I, I'm hearing a call to come home. I'm feeling something. An old feeling is being stirred up within me. I'm seeing a need to get back to the things of God. I'm seeing a need to get back to the house of God. Is there a place I could go to feel that same feeling? To experience that same experience? I think somebody needs to pray here this morning. Somebody should talk to God right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. And the Bible says that when he made his way back to Bethel, that he built an altar. And he called the name of that place El Bethel. Before it was the house of God. But El Bethel means the God of the house. In other words, it's not just a place anymore. It's not just a place where I had a visitation from God. In other words, I'm not just in love with the place, but I'm in love with the God of the place. You see, this house is just brick and mortar. This house is just a place where we we come and gather together and worship Him. But the only way to stay here and the only way to make heaven is to fall in love not just with what goes on here, but fall in love with the one that makes it all happen. You've got to fall in love with the God of the house. Amen. What draws people is not beautiful buildings and eloquent pastors and preachers and it's not the program and it's not all of that. But what really draws people and what keeps people is when they fall in love, when it becomes El Bethel, when it becomes more about the God of the house. Amen. That, that's what you can't just find everywhere. Amen. You can find a good program most places. You can, you can, find, you can find fancy facilities and you can find all of those things. But there's one thing that, that we, we feel that we have here today and that is the presence of Almighty God. We have a touch of the Holy Ghost in this place. There's anointing that can be felt in this house. Does anybody feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this place this morning? If you're thankful for it, why don't you stand, lift up your hands to the Lord, and let's call on Him right now. Come on, let's call on Him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it cost. It cost to come back. 
but oh, it's worth it. Whatever you have to bury along the way, whatever has to be put beneath the blood, whatever you have to surrender, it's going to be worth it if you can get back to that place in God. As they begin to play softly, our friend, Brother Dykes, a year or so ago, told a story that I haven't been able to get away from. Uh, such an impacting story. And I'd like to relay it here this morning. Some of you may have been there when he told it. But a young man by the name of Roger. Roger was... Uh, man that been raised around the church, had the hand of God upon his life, received the Holy Ghost, been baptized in the name of the Lord. Church at all, it was all that he really knew. Later, as he was able to make his own choices, got around some poor influences, went out of the world. One thing led to another this man, Roger, he, he got involved in the drug culture and drug world. It wasn't long until he started using pretty heavily. It wasn't just a weekend-to-weekend thing anymore, but now it was a daily habit. He started dealing drugs and got involved and really ingrained in that lifestyle. One night, he was gathered with some friends in a back alleyway, and they were shooting up their drugs. Little did they know that the drugs had been laced with poison. When they shot them into their veins, they began to feel the effects of that. Roger looked around. His friends were, were dying. They were passed out all around him, laying there in that alley. He was in a haze and a fog. He realized that he was also dying, that this poison that was in these drugs was going to take and claim his life also. While this was going on, he had a mother, a praying mother. They were having a revival that night. An evangelist was preaching about the omnipresence of God. And how that God can reach where you can't reach. God can stir where you can't stir. And God can touch hearts where you can't touch them. God can move in situations. Such a feeling and a burden came over her. And that evangelist said, if you could pray right now, I believe God could reach to where that person is. Save them. She didn't know that Roger was on the edge of life and death. She didn't know, she didn't understand that that moment was so critical. As he was in a fog and a haze fighting for his life, she just stepped out of the aisle and began to make her way down to the front of the building. She began to cry out, Roger! Come back, Roger! Roger! Come back, Roger. 
he said he in that haze and confusion he said suddenly he, he began to hear a voice even in that condition he said he could recognize it as his mother's voice and she was saying come back come back home he staggered out of that alleyway over the tops of those people and friends and folks that were there he staggered out in the middle of the street and he noticed the convenience store over across the way He walked in, saw a payphone. He asked the clerk, he said, is there any way I could get some change to make a call? I got a call to make. Don't have any change. And the clerk gave him a quarter and he walked out and put it in the phone. But in his confusion, he couldn't remember any numbers. He, he didn't know how to get a hold of anybody. And all the while, that mama's praying, Roger! Come back, Roger. Come home. He said, I don't know. It was just God and his mercy. He said, there was a number that came to me. You know what that number was? It was a church's number. He said, and I called it. And after it rang several times, there was somebody that answered in the fellowship hall. He said, this is Roger. He said, uh, is my mama there? I said, yeah. She's here. Matter of fact, she's praying for you right now to come home, to come home. I wonder if there's somebody here today. It may be a costly journey. There may be some things that you've got to surrender and give up in order to make this journey. I'm going to tell you, whatever it costs you to get back to Bethel, it's going to be worth it in the end. God will work out the details. God will take situations that you think are unable to be adjusted and changed, and there's just no hope that that will ever be any different than what it is now. He's able to make a way. But you've got to make the trip. Nobody can make this choice for you. Nobody can make this decision for you. As I was praying here yesterday in this sanctuary, I, I pray, God, let me be able to preach this message the way I feel it in my heart. Help me to be able to feel the, the burden of it and not just be able to feel it, but be able to convey it and transfer it to this body of people that will be gathered here. I don't even know exactly who this might be for this morning, but I know one thing. I felt it on my heart the last two days, strong, to bid you to come to an altar, to ask you to come back to Bethel. Maybe it's some saint of God that on the surface everything looks good, everything looks fine, but deep down there's still some natures there and some things that you've held on to and things that you've carried and things that you've not released and things that you haven't let go of. Some feelings that you've held and attitudes that you've had. There's still a Jacob nature that's there. I'm going to tell you God wants to take that away. 
God wants to release you from that this morning. God wants to give you freedom from that this morning. Why don't we gather, if you feel the tug of heaven on your heart, why don't you make your way? Why don't you open up your heart to God? Why don't you come to this altar? And when we come, I, I ask you not just to come down here and sit around and young people to sit off to the side and act as though that this doesn't affect them. I, I want you to come pray. I, I don't want you to just come out of obedience, and I appreciate that, but I, I want you to come because you're feeling something on your heart. And I want you to find a place to get before God and cry out to Him. Seek Him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody, God is dealing with you. God is talking to you. God is moving on you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes, I wish I could persuade everybody to pray and pray earnestly, to pray with a burden and a concern and a desire. Hallelujah, to let something get a hold of your heart. Don't be callous towards God. There's no benefit in that. There's nothing good that comes out of that. Don't be hard towards the Lord. There's nothing of any worth that's going to be going to be derived from that. You you gotta you gotta be willing to place it on the altar. You gotta be willing to give it to God. You gotta be willing to cry out to Him and seek Him and call upon His name. Come on, something needs to happen here today. Oh, yes, this needs to be more than just God's house, and you need to fall in love with the God of this house. Hallelujah. You need to fall in love with Him. Seek Him and call upon Him and talk with Him today. Let Him deal with your heart. Let Him deal with your heart. Let Him stir your soul. Let Him convict.